Welcome back to The Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We've been working our way through the letter of 1 Peter, and we've come up to the end of chapter 3, which have some of the most difficult verses to make our way through, really, in all of the New Testament. And, and they're difficult for a number of grammatical reasons. There's all kinds of struggles. We've, we've been working our way through these, beginning in verse 18. The, the struggles really begin in earnest, and they continue down through the end of the chapter, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 22. So I'm going to read these verses once again. We've read them several times now, and then I'll pray for us. And today we're going to pick up looking at verse 21 and 22. Father, as we look at your word once again, I ask that you would strengthen us to understand your word to make sense of what you have revealed to us, what you have seen fit to reveal to us by your spirit through Peter who wrote being led by him. Father, we ask that you would indeed give us wisdom, give us the help we need, that we might be comforted with your gospel as Peter intended us to, as you intended us to. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. This is what Peter wrote. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience." Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Well, here's the difficult verses that we've been working through. And it's important, and we've said this multiple times, that we have to see these in their context and we have to try to understand them in their context. Peter has been writing throughout his letter, reminding us of the gospel, reminding his readers of the gospel and how the gospel should comfort us in times of suffering. Not just in times of suffering, of course, but at all times we should find comfort and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ because of what it means, because of what he has done for us. He begins at verse 18 reminding us of Christ's suffering, that that somehow this still applies to what he's writing that the pattern of Christ's suffering and and being victorious, that that somehow is still serving as an example that we might follow in his steps, as he said back in chapter 2, verse 21. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, as we've pointed out, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So in this section, it's entirely surrounded what comes before, what comes after the context of this section, both the immediate context and the broader context of the letter as a whole, is about how the gospel and how the suffering of Jesus should serve as a comfort to Christians. So when we come to these difficult verses, remember the first rule of hermeneutics is letting Scripture interpret Scripture. Our assumption assumption should be that somehow what Peter is writing here in these difficult verses isn't just some kind of theological excursus where he just got distracted for a second, but somehow is contributing to his point about the comfort that we should find in the gospel. R.T. France, a great 
uh, New Testament scholar commenting on these passages wrote this. These verses, both preceding and following our passage, are concerned with the Christian's attitude under persecution. It is the exegete's duty to discover why, in this context, Peter feels it right to delve into the rather obscure and complicated doctrinal matters dealt with in verses 18 through 22. It is not good enough to accuse him of exercising his private theological hobby horses in an irrelevant academic digression set in the middle of a serious piece of pastoral exhortation. R.T. France, in much better language, is making the same point that I've been trying to make. Peter didn't just get distracted here and, and wander off into some obscure theology. We have to assume that what he's writing somehow encourages and is intended to encourage us in our faith, even in the face of persecution. So if we follow the argument up to this bit about baptism, what we have had so far, what we've seen, is that Christ's suffering and, and victory what was a suffering for us and, and victory for us over death, the, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he was put to death in the flesh, he was made alive by the Spirit. And that we've been united to him and that, that somehow, going back to chapter 2, 21, he serves as an example to us. That we can take confidence because God's eye was on him, looking back at chapter 3, verse 12, and so also we can assume it is on us. And then he uses this example. In the days of Noah, there were those that he understands, uh, R.T. France rather, understands to be angels. I think probably he's right there. Th there were those that were set in prison, this place where they awaited judgment, and now, by the victory of Christ, he has proclaimed their shame to them. Remember, this was the promise that we need not fear because they would be put to shame in Christ. Peter looks back to Noah, which was a common story used at this time in, in all kinds of, of Jewish religious literature. And he says, look, what we saw happen there were that there were those who were, who were leading people astray and they were imprisoned, waiting the day of judgment. And it has come and Christ has proclaimed victory. He has proclaimed his victory over them. He has put them to shame. And so we can expect the same thing even now. R.T. France again reminds us that this is how typology works. Typology becomes important in verse 21. R.T. France writes this, The essential principle of New Testament typology is that God works according to a regular pattern so that what he has done in the past, as recorded in the Old Testament, can be expected to find its counterpart in his work in the decisive period of the New Testament. That's what Peter's doing here. He's saying, look, this is how it worked previously. A few people escaped. The minority escaped. God delivered them and put those who would persecute them and who would lead the world astray, he put them to shame, even though it was years later, through the victory of Jesus Christ. He's reminding us now, so you, dear Christian, have escaped through water, and those who would trouble you and those who would persecute you also have been made subject to Christ. And they also, like those of old, were put to shame through the victory of Christ. These now 
are put to shame through the victory of Christ. So what Peter does is he draws this parallel between what would have been a common story for the people, a story that they would have understood of this deliverance through water. He draws a parallel, a typological parallel between that and the reality of us who have been baptized in Christ. That just like they were put to shame, those who would would lead people astray, those who would trouble the faithful, so now we can expect those who would trouble the faithful similarly to be put to shame by Christ. Not by us, but by Christ. That's why he's able to say back in chapter 3, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. All of that comes to a head in this bit about baptism that Peter says now saves us but not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. R.T. France again says, The saving significance of baptism does not lie in the external physical act of washing, but in the moral and spiritual commitment to God which it symbolizes. It symbolizes this commitment to God, God's pledge on us, our pledge to him. It symbolizes us being washed from our sin. It symbolizes our being united to Christ. Baptism points to all of these things. And so Peter is saying, in essence, remember to whom you belong. You belong, dear Christian, to the one who previously and and by his victory, by his suffering onto victory, put those who would trouble his people to shame. He announced his victory, his authority over them, so you too can rest in him who now sits in heaven, who is at the right hand of God, because all of these spiritual powers, these angels, the authorities, these powers, they have been subjected to Christ. Remember who you are, Peter says. Remember into what you have been baptized, into whom you have been baptized, the one who sits and reigns supreme. Again, I'm going to read at length from R.T. France. He offers a paraphrase of chapter 3, 17 down through chapter 3, verse 22 that I think just absolutely gets at Peter's point in a very helpful way. And so in closing today, I'll read that. This from R.T. France, his paraphrase of 1 Peter 3, 17 through 22. It is better to suffer, if suffer you must, for good deeds than for bad. Because Christ also suffered for no fault of his own when he, the just one, died on behalf of the unjust. So do not complain if your suffering too is undeserved. His death was an effective once-for-all sacrifice to make atonement for your sins, so that you might be restored to fellowship with God. 
It is for this faith that you were called to suffer. It is not an optional extra, but the only way of salvation. It is worth the cost. He was put to death, as you may well be, but that was only in the earthly sphere. He has been raised to new spiritual life, as you will be too if you die for him. So death was, for Jesus, the way of achievement and victory. Do not fear those who can only kill the body. In the triumph of his resurrection, he went to the fallen angels awaiting judgment in their place of confinement and proclaimed to them the victory won by his redeeming death. Even the most wicked of spiritual powers have had to recognize the authority of the risen Jesus. Whatever the forces against you, they are not his equal. These were those spirits who rebelled against God in the days of Noah. While God in his mercy was still withholding the punishment of the flood, as he is now delaying judgment on your persecutors. And the ark was being built, but when the flood came, there were few, only eight, who were saved in the ark. It is nothing new to be a minority standing for God. Noah and his family must have been very conscious of the weight of opposition, but in the end, they were saved and the rest drowned. Fear not, little flock. It was through water that Noah and his family were saved. And similarly, the water of baptism now saves you, since Noah's experience was a prefiguration of Christian experience. So let your baptism be an assurance to you of your ultimate salvation. Of course, it is not the mere outward washing of the body, which is the essence of baptism, but the candidate's commitment to a life of loyal service to God. Do not forget your pledge. You are committed and cannot go back however strong the pressure. The ceremony without the commitment is not true baptism and gives no ground for assurance. Baptism involves your union with the risen Christ and hence gives you the power to remain faithful. The risen Christ who is now gone into heaven where he sits at God's right hand and all angels and spiritual powers are under his control. So whom have you to fear? You are on the winning side. Your persecutors and the spiritual forces which drive them on can have no ultimate victory. Your Lord reigns.